Well, okay, ladies, since we're at a Bible study, we're going to open up our Bibles to Romans chapter 8. If you were able to be with us last week, you know that at each week of this study, I'm teaching on chapters that are my favorites in the Word of God. And if you were not with us, well, now you know that too. And when I say to you, open up your Bible then to, to Romans 8, I'm not just choosing any chapter, although they're all wonderful, but I'm asking you to open up to a chapter that has had profound impact on my life. Just like I said last week, several years ago, I, I really just was having a conversation with the Lord about many of these chapters and just thinking about how rich they had been in my life and still are, and many of the women that we minister to, and just wishing that I would have an opportunity to share some of these truths. And, and just in dreaming with the Lord, I said, God, I, I want to write a Bible study called My Top Ten, where I could teach on all my favorites. So this month at a Bible study, uh, that's what I'm doing. I'm getting started on that and I'm teaching on my favorites and Romans 8 is definitely one of them because it declares freedom over my life and it declares freedom over your life too. It tells us that we are free from sin. Now, Romans 8 is a long chapter. So we're gonna just jump right in and it starts off with a very commonly known passage to many believers. And, and that's great because you know what? Paul actually wrote the book of Romans for believers. God used him to write the book of Romans for believers. And so as believers, as we read Romans 8.1, we find that it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we love that, right? Because that tells us we're not guilty before God. And, and who wants to live under guilt? So that's the way that Romans 8 starts. And Romans 8 ends with a very um, commonly known passage as well. In verses 38 and 39, it tells us that we're convinced that neither death nor life, and it goes through this whole list of all these things, that nothing will be able to separate us from God's love. And we love that too, right? Because nothing, I don't, I don't care what it is, can separate us from God's love. So that's how Romans 8 ends. So we know the first part that says we're free from condemnation. And we know the last part that says we're free in God's love. But I would say to you that often we as believers, we know we'll be free in heaven. But right now... In our living right now, we are living just as bound up as the rest of humanity. Or we think, how could God love somebody like me, let alone even like me maybe? We're bound up with shame a lot of times over things that have happened in our past and we just can't get past them. We're trapped in the condemnation of the enemy that he just keeps telling us what we are and where we've been. And, and we think we'll never overcome some of the things that we're even struggling with now. Doesn't matter what it is. It might be anger. It might be you just can't stop complaining. You're just a whiner all the time, you know? I mean, it could be all kinds of things. It could be alcoholism, sexual immorality, um, shopping too much, eating too much. Whatever the sin is, we, we just think we'll never get past it because we make all these plans and we try, but we're bound up in this thing. And then Satan is constantly telling us, you'll never get over that. 
You know, you tried that before. Why are you going to try to get rid of that now? Because you can't do it. And so this vicious cycle happens where we hear this condemnation of the enemy and we allow it to create this false sense of separation between us and God, even though we know what the word says and we hear all that. And all it does is spiral us right down into more of the same behavior. And then we feel worse. And so it's this thing that just happens over and over again. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I know what I'm talking about because I have too been bound up. I felt the chains. But I also know with all I am that when Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free, that he actually meant it. He meant that when he said it. And when God began to teach me all of Romans 8, not just the beginning and not just the end, but all of it in my life, that's when the chains started to fall. We mentioned the paintings that have been done for each one of the uh, teachings that we're going to have. And and this is the one that really represents the teaching tonight. And I love it because if you've looked at it, there's, there's the word behind those chains and they're broken and they're laying on the floor. And it so represents what God has done for us and giving us freedom over sin. The artist that painted this, I, I really recommend that you read what she wrote about it. But I had never met her, and I, I met her a couple weeks ago when she uh, gave me the painting, and she was sharing her testimony with me. Five years ago, she was an atheist, had never known the Lord. Her life was a mess. She was so chained up, and she is so free now. And so I think that's why this beautiful painting, she was able to paint it, because God has done this work in her, and she's been able to express it. See, I think most people... Even people that don't believe in God, they want to be free. Nobody likes to be chained up and controlled and bound by something. Last week when when we talked about Psalm 1, we said that most people want to be happy. And and like we said, if you were not here last week, you can can listen to that message and you can access those materials online too. And I let me just say, I know some of you had a hard time finding those materials on our website. We really didn't hide them, I promise you. Okay, I think we've made it a little clearer now where they're at, but if you want to use them and you can't find them, just go to the contact and email us and, and we'll get right back to you and we'll let you know how to get those things because we want you to be able to, to use them because my hope is that these chapters are not just going to be my favorites, but they're going to be your favorites too. And I know that some of them already are. I've seen some of you talking on Facebook about Romans 8 and how much you love Romans 8 too. So we're just going to dig into that. But, you know, just like Romans or just like Psalm 1 says, you know, we talked about how everybody wants to be happy. Well, everybody wants to be free. Everybody wants to be free. And Romans 8 really tells us how we can be free and how we can live out that freedom. So, like I said, we're just going to work our way through. And here's what's going to happen as we do. We're going to go verse by verse. And you know what's going to happen is these questions are going to start rising to the surface. And they're not going to be new questions to you because I am pretty certain that you've probably asked them before in your own quest for freedom in your relationship with the Lord. So read the first couple of verses with me. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. This is God's declaration of freedom over our lives. He tells us, as believers, remember this is written to believers, you are free from sin. You're free from sin in all its condemnation. And he tells us how we actually got that way. 
See, God wants us to know and to be able to discern and understand our freedom because God can look right into our hearts and he sees how we think about ourselves. He sees the self-condemning, the shame-filled thoughts that fill our minds a lot of times because of the destruction of sin in our lives. And God never intended for it to be that way. The other night as we sat around as our Cherish team got ready to go out for outreach, we, we spent about three hours usually, sometimes more, preparing and Bible study and worship and prayer and just um, hanging out together and just making sure we're united and, and on the same page. And, and one of the girls, because we, we're going through a Bible study, one of our EF Bible studies called Face to Face with His Loving Kindness, and we're working our way through that. And we were talking about trusting in the Lord. And one of our girls actually said, she said, you know, for years I believed, I didn't have a hard time at all believing that God could love the world. I just didn't know how he could love me. And I thought, isn't that telling? Because I've heard so many women say the same thing, and I have said that myself. I could easily tell somebody else, oh, God loves you. But then I would go to bed at night wondering, how could he love someone like me? And God knows that. And so the first question that really rises to the surface is we hear, oh, you're free is how is that possible for someone like me? And the answer is that your freedom doesn't come because of you. Your freedom is all about Jesus. Keep reading with me in verse 3. It says, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. The law could not make us free. And God gave the law, and he knew it wasn't going to be able to make us free. You know why? The law is perfect, but he gave it to us, flesh. And so the law was weak because Sharon couldn't obey the law fully. And Nicole couldn't obey the law fully. And Joyce couldn't. And Michelle couldn't. And whatever your name is, you can't obey the law fully. So the law was weak because it was through the flesh. And some of us have really, really blown it when we've tried to obey the law. And you might be one of those people. And some of us, we've really tried really hard. We were those good Christian girls growing up, and, and, and we really tried really, really hard to uh, keep the law. And so we've kept maybe most of the law. But you know what the Bible says in James? Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of the whole thing. So there's no self-righteousness before God because we've all sinned. I mean, full-blown sinners, they've got a lot of shame and guilt, so they're not free. And then you know what? Those trying to keep the law and they think they're doing a pretty good job, they're really all bound up in a bunch of (laughs) self-righteousness. So they're not free either because the law, as verse 3 tells us, was not designed to make us free. What the law couldn't do, it was weak, weak as it was through the flesh. Look at these next two words. If you don't get anything else out of Romans 8, get these two words. God did. You might not think you can memorize scripture. You can memorize that. Say it out loud with me. God did. Okay? God did it. Those two words are setting free words. They answer the question, how is freedom possible for somebody like me, like you, for for everyone? Because God doesn't expect us to set ourselves free. He knows that we cannot. And he already did it. 
by sending, look at here what it says, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He came and became like one of us. And as an offering for sin, listen to what it says. It says he condemned sin in the flesh. He didn't condemn us. He condemned the sin. So there's no condemnation. He put our sin on Jesus. Jesus became the offering and God did it. So the question, how can God set someone like me free? Because it's not about me. It's about God. God did it. Now, we might ask, well, why would he do something like that? Why would he even want to do that for me? Verse 4 answers that. In order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I don't think it's news to any of us that God has a really, really big heart. Right? I mean, the Bible talks about that a lot. How big his heart is. How his love reaches to the heavens. You know, sometimes we might go out to dinner with somebody And we'll be sitting around the table and the waitress brings the check and your friend goes and grabs the check and they're going to pay for the check. They'll say, I got that, right? Now they're doing that for the most part, probably out of, out of a big heart. They want to fulfill the requirement of that check. And God sets us free from our sins out of a big heart. The Bible's clear about that all over the word. Moved by grace, he met that requirement so that we could fully walk out the freedom of life that he wants us to live in. Because God knows what he created us for. When he created us, his vision for us was to walk in the fullness of life, just flowing in relationship with him. His life, all of his goodness and blessings just flowing over our lives. But ever since sin happened in the garden, the world began to get all bound up in sin. And it only got worse and worse. Not living in the, in the freedom of God. Not walking in the spirit, but like it says right here, in the flesh. So instead of peace, a lot of us live with a lot of anxiety. Instead of right relationships, we've got a lot of self-centeredness and a lot of broken expectations. And so you just kind of muddle through instead of having the life of God flowing in your relationships. Instead of pure enjoyment of all the good things that God created for, for our enjoyment. I mean, he gave us all of these things to enjoy. But we, we in our sinful ways, try to extract this perverted enjoyment from things and we mess it all up and we we end up not satisfied because we use the things that God gave us in in perverted and unholy ways. And all of this is is a result of that decision in the garden of sin. Well, God looks at all that and he just weeps. That's why he would do this because he wants us to experience the freedom of his life that he gives. He doesn't want us to be bound by sin. That was never the plan. That was never the idea for any of us to walk in any kind of binding up of the sinful nature. So why would he do that? Well, he just has a big heart. And his, his heart is for us to walk in freedom. Always has been and always will be. So we might say this. Then we might ask this question. Well, if he set me free then why do I still struggle with a bunch of sin? (laughs) And that's the big question. (laughs) And you've probably asked it before. And God has been asked that question many times, especially by me. (laughs) I have asked that question a lot. In fact, when I first really started walking with the Lord, that question rose to the surface pretty quickly. Because I was now in love with Jesus. I wanted to follow him. I knew what the beginning of Romans 8 said. 
that there was no condemnation for me. I knew that the, the word of God said in, at the end of Romans 8 that I wouldn't be separated, but I felt separated all the time. I felt condemned all the time. And if I was really honest with myself, I knew that I was still walking in a lot of sin. And I wasn't free from all these things going on in my heart and in my mind and in my emotions and in my actions. So I asked God a lot, God, if you set me free, why am I still all bound up in sin? And I remember very clearly. In fact, I can remember distinctly where I was one day when he answered and how he did that. I don't have time to go into all of that tonight. But over and over again, starting with that specific time, he started to teach me the same truth that we find right here in Romans 8, verses 5 through 8. So we're going to keep reading. It says, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death. But the mindset on the spirit is life and it's peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. It doesn't even subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh, it says, cannot please God. Now there's a whole lot (laughs) To unpack here, we could teach for five weeks just, just on that, but we're going we're gonna to move through it, okay? As I delighted in the Word of God and I, I meditated day and night in asking the Lord this question, He began to teach me about my flesh and my spirit. Now, I'm going to give you a one-minute addition of a very deep teaching, okay, that I think is so important to understanding your relationship with the Lord, and how he made you if you want to walk in any kind of freedom. In fact, I think it's so foundational that a couple years ago, we recorded a teaching about it called Spirit, Soul, and Body. And then, not soon after that, I also ended up writing a whole Bible study, 10 weeks long, on Romans chapter 6, okay? And it's called So Long Self. And both of those resources are available at our table or on our website. And we make them available because we feel like it's so important for people to understand this. But you're going to get a one-minute edition of it tonight. If you need more understanding, you need to get one of those resources, and, and that would help you, okay? But basic 101, here we go. This is what the Holy Spirit taught me. Before I was in Christ, I had a body, okay, and I still do, and you all do. This is not who I am. The Bible actually says this is my tent, or it's my earth suit while I live here, okay? If you want to think of it like that. We get all caught up in our bodies, right? But this is not the totality of who I am. It's just a shell for me to live in while I'm here. Now, I also had, before I was in Christ, a soul, or the Bible actually uses the word flesh, which it does here in Romans 8, uses those words interchangeably. They're both translated from the same Greek word, which is suke. They mean the same thing. Your flesh or your soul, it's your mind, what you think about. It's your will, the choices you make, and it's your emotions. So everybody has that, okay? We all have that, whether you're in Christ or not, a body and your flesh. But the Lord also taught me that I had a spirit. And this is in the word of God. And and like I said, those teachings get into this more. But my spirit before Christ was dead because of sin. Because really what your spirit, it's the place for God to reside within you. But see, when God did it, go back to verse 3, those two words, you know, God did it. All right, that's actually three words, isn't it? Three. Okay, three words. All right. When God did it, when he saved me, 
His spirit resurrected in me. It was born again in me. That's why believers a lot of times are called born again Christians. Now, as amazing as that sounds, like, oh, goodness, you've got the spirit of God in you. Think about that for a minute. Here you are. You've been living completely out of the flesh. Thinking whatever the sinful mind wanted to think about. Doing whatever the sinful emotions led you to do. Just all kinds of sinful actions. And here comes holy God to live in you. What do you think is going to happen? <laughs> this major tension is going to start. Because the vision that God has for you when he puts his spirit within you is that you're going to start to walk according to the spirit. In other words, the spirit's going to lead. But you know already, I don't even have to say it, but I will. You're so used to, and I'm so used to doing what I want to do and thinking what I want to think and feeling what I want to feel that it's very hard for me sometimes to, in fact, a lot of times, in fact, most of the time, to want to yield myself and to live according to the Spirit. Now, before we were in Christ, there was no choice. You actually didn't have a choice. A lot of times people think who are out there doing their own thing, they think they're so free, but really they're not. They're bound up in sin. Sin's their only choice. It's kind of like the law of gravity. You know, if you hold a penny in your hand and you let go, it's going to do what? Drop, because that's the law of gravity. Well, the law of sin and death is you put a person, a body with a flesh on the earth, and they don't have the spirit of God, guess what they're going to do? They're going to sin. That's the law of sin and death. (laughs) It's going to happen. There is no choice. But see, when God puts his spirit within you, that's the first part of the freedom he gives you and me. He gives us the freedom to choose. We get to choose whether or not we want to live according to the spirit or if we want to live according to the flesh. Listen closely to this part, though. And I know many of you already know this, but the Lord has to minister this to me over and over again. The reason so many of us as believers are still so bound up in the ways of sin is we continually make the choice to live according to the flesh even though God has set us free and put his spirit within us. Now, he explains our choice here in great detail in these verses. First of all, he talks about the mind. And remember, your flesh is your mind, your will, and your emotions. First, he talks about the mind. In verse 5, he says, The mind set on the flesh, they think according to the flesh, because their minds are set on the things of the flesh. And we do that a lot, right? We think thoughts that are full of anxiety. We think thoughts are full of despair. We think shameful thoughts, immoral thoughts, bitter thoughts, whatever kind of thoughts that are contrary to truth. We entertain that kind of thinking all of the time. What we're doing is replacing our thoughts above God's thoughts. When the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, you want to think on this truth? No, I'd rather sit here and be bitter. It feels better right now. I I like that. And I'm really, really used to, to thinking like that. And we laugh, but that's what we do. I had that battle today. Okay? And what does it say it produces in verse 6? It says, for the mindset on the flesh is death. It's death. It produces death. When somebody died at that time, they would bind them in cloths. So a binding up, they would put them in the grave and seal the grave. Okay? Total representation of not being free. Eternal captivity apart from God in death. And that's not what God wants for us. In fact, God freely wants to produce his life 
in us. And he says it right here in verse six. He says, but the mindset on the spirit is what? It's life and it's peace. Now, this word life is actually the word zoe, Z-O-E. And what it means, that's the Greek word, and it means the life of God. So what God is saying is, if you will yield your mind and think on the things of the Spirit and and think according to the Spirit, you're going to have my life, the life that I intend for you to have, all the goodness of me flowing through your mind. You're going to have that in your life. And then he says you're going to have peace. And this word peace means a tranquil and a pleasant existence. Doesn't that sound nice? A pleasant existence. Free from worry and care. Many of us wake up with worry and care going, just talking away. I mean, free. Like, you you don't experience it at all. Because you're in peace. Because you're yielding yourself to the Spirit, living according to Him. Now, the mind is where sin begins. Bible's very clear about that too. But as verses 5 to 8 move on, we see he mentions our emotions and our behavior too. Because the death, this binding up in our lives, it starts in our minds as we think according to the flesh. But then it gets fleshed out in how we feel and in how we act, which are the other parts of our flesh. Verse 7 says, the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. See, we start in fleshly thinking and we're just determined we're going to just sit there and whatever. Or sometimes we don't even determine. It's so much a part of our nature. We just think that way. And so our thoughts are, are, they've just run all over the Spirit's thoughts. And we feel anger when God wants us to be free to feel rest. And we feel a bunch of shame. God's saying, I want you to feel acceptance. I, I have love for you to feel. We feel all this despair, and God's saying, look, if you'll yield your mind to the Spirit, I can give you hope in your emotions. We feel all this anxiety, and God says, I have so much peace to minister to you. But our choice of thinking first according to the flesh, what it does is it begins to put us in a place of hostility toward God and his ways, and then we get all captive in our emotions, and we can't understand why we're dealing with all this negativity running through us. We've got an emotional death going on inside of us. And then you know what that happens from there? It only leads you right into a sinful action, a sinful behavior, what we do with our will. And, and look what it says here. It says, the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God. In other words, you do things your own way. You do things by your own will. And look what it says. It says, it's not even able to do so. We're so bound up in sin, we don't even know how to make the right choice. What is the question that we're answering? Because I know we've kind of gone in some directions. Remember the question? If God set me free, then why am I still bound up in sin? Well, here's more of your answer right here in verse 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. When we live according to the flesh, we cannot please God. And I really believe that pleasing God is our freedom. I'm meditating on that more and more. Just even yesterday, the Lord started depositing that in me. And I've been thinking on that a lot. Pleasing God is really our freedom. Pleasing God is our freedom. But when we choose our flesh, our mind thinks in sin. We end up with all these hostile feelings toward the ways of God. 
And then we do things that are not pleasing to him. And we live all bound up. Now, for the Christian, this can be a very vicious cycle. And I know that many of us experience it. Because, see, we listen to Christian radio, and so we hear all these songs about freedom. And we put scriptures on, on our desk, and we wear t-shirts, and we go to church, and, and they're always talking about freedom. And so we're like, yeah, 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 freedom! And then we go home, and then we go, I don't feel so free. Or we get by ourselves, and we really start to ponder some of the things going on in our lives. Or we can even be standing there singing the songs and going, oh, God, you set me free. But we're going, I'm not free. This doesn't make sense to me. And so we find ourselves a lot of times in this vicious cycle. And the reality is, and what God wants us to see here, is a lot of times we're in the bondage of our sinful flesh because we're not living according to the Spirit. And I don't even have a word for it other than just, ugh. It's just, ugh. It's, it's just, ugh, to know that you're free, but not be able to live that way. And so that's why I love Romans 8, because it really gives us some tools to be able to put this freedom into action. And I'll tell you, I have studied and meditated on this chapter for a long time, and I still am. And as much as I want to deposit it into your life tonight, you're going to have to study it on your own. You're going to have to seek the Lord about these things. You're going to have to meditate on this because freedom comes at a very high price. It came at a very high price to Jesus. God did it, but we're so bound up in sin in 2013 that it's going to take a lot of work of the Holy Spirit for him to work through the layers of sin in our lives to get us to actually begin to walk out in this thing. And nobody can do it for you. You've got to do it yourself. So use this time tonight to just soak it in. But I pray that you'll go home and use those tools that we put on the website and dig in even more. But let me tell you, there's a whole lot more. I told people today, I said, I could teach for 10 hours on Romans 8 and not even get started. Now, I'm not going to do that tonight, okay? Uh, I know you all need to go to work tomorrow and you got to have a shower and there's not enough of those here. I think there's one in the bathroom back there. Okay, so we're not going to do that. But I know that many of us are suffering tonight under the bondage of sin when Christ already did it. That's why I love Romans 8. Because time after time, God sits me down and he tells me my freedom story again. When I've lost sight of the freedom or when he wants to take me into a new understanding. Because I'm not the first person to ask God this question. Why do I feel all chained up when you died to set me free? And you're not alone if you're asking that. And, and actually, I think the believers were asking it back then. That's what I think. I think that's why Paul wrote this. In fact, in, in verse, verse uh, 9, he reminds them of what they have. He says, you're not in the flesh, though. You're in the spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. We have the Spirit of Christ in us if we're believers in Jesus. And he makes it very clear that if we don't have the Spirit in us, it's because we don't know Christ. And the beauty of it is, is you can know Christ. So all of us have the opportunity to have the Spirit in us. And when the Spirit comes alive in us, bringing this freedom, here's here's the issue. Most of us have been living so long according to our own thoughts and feelings and action that God pronounces this freedom over our lives. But just like I was saying just a moment ago, we've got a lot of learning to do to be able to walk this freedom out 
on this earth. So maybe you're asking after all of this, like, is it even possible? <laughs> I mean, if, it's the, if my bondage to sin runs that deep in my life, is it even possible to really live in the freedom we have been given in Christ? And the answer is yes. You're not a hopeless cause. Jesus is a redeemer. And he already set you free. He did it. Satan wants you to believe you're the exception. Especially in an area maybe where you have some bondage. That you're the exception. You know what? He tells everybody that. (laughs) How many exceptions can there be? (laughs) There aren't any. Because there aren't any exceptions in Christ. We can start walking out this freedom now. We're not going to enjoy it fully till we get to heaven, but we can start living it out now. And in the following verses, God tells us how to actually do that. Verse 10, he says, And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. We need a revelation to understand the spirit of God lives in me. Little old me. He's come to live in me with all my messes, with all my bondages. Because of Jesus, because of his righteousness, the spirit of God lives in me. And verse 11 says, but if the spirit of him, and that's the spirit who lives in us, raised Jesus from the dead, he dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life. And that's that same word life, the life of God to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells you. And I would say, if he can raise Jesus from the dead, what is it that you think he can't set you free from? See, it really goes back to, do we believe that the Holy Spirit actually lives within us? And then verse 12 is probably one of my favorite verses in this whole chapter. It says, so then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. I want to ask you, have you ever had a job that you just hated? And then that day came that you got to say, see ya. (laughs) Not coming back here. (laughs) It's such a good feeling to wake up that next morning and think, oh, all those people have to go and I don't. To be able to say, see ya. You don't have to because you're not obliged to that job anymore. Well, you know what? This says we are under obligation not to the flesh. It is so freeing to know I don't have to think according to my flesh. Whatever thought comes in my mind, I don't have to think that. That's very freeing. You can choose what you think about. And the word of God will give us plenty to think about that is contrary to our flesh. And the Holy Spirit's right there within us, ready to to show us those things. Ready for us as we're delighting in his word to give us new things to think about. That's why the Bible says to take those thoughts captive and cast them down if they're not in obedience to Christ. Because all they're going to produce for you is death. We are not obligated to think those things. You don't have to. You've been set free from that. It's so freeing to know that I don't have to feel whatever comes within me. Now that's really freeing to me because I am a super sensitive girl. And, and I don't know, maybe you're like me, but I can get my feelings hurt like that. And my love language is words. So it just takes just even a tone in a word, and that can hurt my feelings. A lot of times, it's the words that aren't said that I'm wanting somebody to say. And I can get all in a wad about that, you know? 
and just be in this mood and have my feelings hurt. And for years, I was obligated to that. But it is so freeing to know I don't have to feel those things. And you know what? The Lord has been doing such a work in me this year specifically. As there's been a lot of negative feelings this year coming across my heart, let me tell you. And he has been doing such a work in me with this and continually bringing me back to this saying, you're not obligated to feel that way. I can give you a new way to feel that's not according to your flesh. Are you interested? And sometimes I'm like, no, I'd just rather stay the way I am. And he'll be, okay, it's only going to produce death. It's only going to make those chains a little bit tighter around your heart. When you're ready, you let me know. Because I've got freedom for you, Sharon, right now. You know what? One of the things he's been teaching me lately is, and, and I, this is so contrary to what is very... Um, popular i think in the christian community right now and in our culture we are all about our feelings aren't we how does that make you feel (laughs) that's all we want to know we don't want to know what the truth says we just want to know how does that make you feel and so we'll sit around and talk about all this feelings that are just rooted in sinful thinking and then we go i'm just so bound up in all this stuff And we don't understand why. Kind of the same thing like last week about our happiness. Okay? The Lord's been showing me, Sharon, the more you talk about and share those feelings, you're just putting the chains on a little bit tighter. Because if they're not feelings that are from me, they're only going to bind you up. So you need to first come to me and say, are these feelings true? And you know what? Most of the time he tells me, no, they're not. And even if they are, I've got some better truth for you. I've got some truth that trumps that. I can tell you what I think about you. So what? They hurt your feelings. You know what I think about you, Sharon? And then he can take me to the word. And my feelings can be transformed. And see, what we need are friendships in the body of Christ, where if somebody comes to you with feelings that are rooted in sin, that we love our sister so much that we say, look, I know that hurts. I know your heart is breaking over that. But let me tell you what the Holy Spirit says about you. Because you don't have to feel that way. You are not obligated to entertain those feelings in your heart. The Holy Spirit will give you a new way. I mean, there's so much richness in just this verse 12 here. It's so freeing to know I am not obligated to act in all the sinful ways that I've acted before. I'm not obligated to lose my temper, even if somebody makes me mad. I'm not obligated to that. I've been set free to live life in the spirit. And there's so many things that that affects as we go from day to day life. It just feels so good to say, see ya, to sin, to realize we're not obligated anymore. Verse 13 says, if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. In other words, you will have death like effects in your life now. In sin, we know that it caused death. The only reason there is death in the world is because of sin. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We've all got a choice. That's the first freedom that we get in Christ, is to have this choice. I'm not obligated to sin, but I still have a choice about it. And my choices have results, either death or life. Now, you might say, well, that doesn't sound like freedom to me. (laughs) That just sounds like more rules because I'm still having to obey somebody. 
First it was the law, now I just have to obey the Holy Spirit. What's the difference? And see, that's another question that kind of comes up because some people can feel like, well, that just feels like a bunch of rules. How is, how is living according to the Spirit different from following rules? And I think this is where we have to stop and actually define freedom. Because we tend to confuse freedom. We hear the word freedom, and we think in terms of the way our culture has defined freedom. And the world in our culture defines freedom as things like this. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. You just express yourself in whatever way you want, whatever feels good to you. Set your own pace, set your own standards, live your own way, decide everything for yourself. And we think, oh, that's freedom. But you know what? That's an illusion that is never going to come true for anyone. Never. Let me tell you why. God created everything. That means he created every person. And every person belongs to him. He's our creator. We're made in his image. In fact, the very substance of who I am is found in him. And he did not create any of us to live apart from him. He answers to no one. It doesn't matter if people don't like that idea. It doesn't matter. That's the way God said it is. And if we have any freedom, it's only because he gave it. And he did. He gave the freedom to choose. He gives us the freedom to choose whether or not we want to have relationship with him. But he also makes it clear your choices are going to have results. They're going to have results. Life and death. Verse 13. And then there's other parts to our freedom that that overcome the effects of sin in our life. First of all, we talked about this already. He gives us the freedom of his spirit living in us again. None of us deserve to have his spirit living within us. None of us deserve that. He sets us free from that bondage to have to just live according to the flesh. He gives us his spirit to live in us again. That's another part of our freedom. Then he gives us the freedom that once the spirit's in us, we can experience the goodness of his life. We're free to experience all the blessings that come from yielding to the spirit who who produces all these blessings of life from God in our lives. And then he gives us the freedom to live forever with him in glory. One day when these bodies actually die. Biblical freedom is all about being free from sin. We have been set free from any effect of sin that chains us in this world and in the life to come. So at every single level, God's freedom ministers to us what sin tried to take away. And so once we understand the nature of what God's freedom is, and we keep reading, it answers this question about how is this not different from rules? Because it just feels like rules. If all I have to do is just obey the Holy Spirit all the time, it's not even close to rules. Not at all. Listen to verses 14 through 16. Read with me. It says, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. He's, re- he's referring to the law. You're not in that same place of just having to obey a bunch of rules like a slave and be in fear of, oh no, did I not do it right? That's, that's not what this is, he says. You have received a spirit of adoption as sons, and I would say as daughters, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. That we are children of God. It's not about rules. It's about having a bond and a connection with your father 
who loves you wholly, who cherishes you, who wants to pour life into you. It's so important, we know this, for children to have a strong relationship with their father. But we know this too. In the brokenness and the trappings of sin, many fathers in this world have done a really poor job or maybe no job at all. And so this cycle of sin just perpetuates itself. And many of you have experienced this cycle. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And the children of fathers end up trapped in a lot of sin and a lot of emotions that go with that when these fathers have not really done the job that God entrusted to them of being a representation of himself in their lives. It doesn't, it doesn't produce the freedom of life that God wants us to, to enjoy. And so for a lot of us, yielding to the Spirit is learning from the Spirit to walk away from a lot of these negative emotions and negative hurts and thoughts that come from really not being raised by a father who represented the Lord himself to us barely at all or, or not at all. But the essence of living according to the Spirit is the essence of having this amazing relationship with your father. It's a father, he's a father who loves you. He's a father who wants the best for you, wants to pour out freedom and and life in you. He wants to provide for you. He's a father who has the guts to look at you and say, no, that is not good for you. So we're going to do something different, okay? He's a father who you trust, a father who holds you accountable, a father who you love to listen to and be with and learn from and fellowship with because you want all that he has because you understand the essence of who he is. So you just want to snuggle up to him and be with him. You'll sacrifice things to be around him because you've just been made so aware of the goodness and you're like, God, get me out of this sin. I want all you have to give me. Not too long ago, a couple weeks ago, I talked to a young woman named Amber. And Amber is a beautiful girl. She's 25 years old, recently graduated from college, has a great job in the D.C. area, and uh, spends a lot of hours at work, has a long commute every morning and evening, but she's just full of life. But back when she was in her late teen years, early adult years, even though she did grow up in an amazing Christian family with an amazing father who loved her in representation of God's love, she went on a prodigal jaunt that took her down and trapped her in all kinds of sin in her life. Now, after a time, she came to understand the truth, and she came back in sorrowful repentance Repented to the Lord, repented to her family, was restored, and God has done some amazing things in her life. And and he is right now, and she's walking in fellowship with the Lord. But she told me something that just stopped me. And every time I think about it, I think about these verses here, and I literally just get chills. This is what she said. She said, you know, my dad is such an amazing man. And, and, and just knowing the history of where she had been, she said, my dad is an amazing man. And she said, even though I have this long commute every morning and I have to get up really early already, she said, three mornings a week, she said, I get up an hour early because me and my dad spend an hour in prayer together three mornings a week. I thought, wow. And I thought, that's what this is. 
See, she has come to a place of repentance in her life. Whereas one time she was so far away from wanting to even hear from her father. And now she can't get close enough to him. She wants to learn from him. She wants to be in prayer with him so that she can learn all that she has, all that he has and extract everything he knows about the Lord. So she's willing as a 25 year old single woman who has a very full life and a long commute already to get up an hour early, three days a week, just so she can pray with her dad. That represents this. It's not about rules. Freedom is not about rules. It's about me knowing that my father loves me and me doing life with my father in all his goodness, letting his life flow into me. And I'm so convinced that his life is better than anything this world has for me, that it shapes me and it sets me free. And I want all that he has to give me. In fact, verse 17 tells me I'm an heir. It says, and of children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him. Now, wait a minute. Sound really good, didn't it? We're heirs. We're getting all this good stuff and then suffer. God, did you have to put that in there? And yes, he did. To suffer with him. So here comes the next question. If this freedom is so good, why do we still have to suffer? Doesn't seem to make much sense. Well, we have to understand the reality. And the word of God tells us right here. The reality of living in a world that is broken by sin. Because even though God has set us free, this is where we live right now, ladies. You might rather live in heaven, but you don't. You're here. And the effects of sin are all around us. All of us, at some level, to some degree, have been and probably are enslaved in some kind of brokenness of sin. Probably in ways you don't even are aware, you're not even aware of yet. Me either. And just because I've been set free in some areas, it doesn't mean everybody around me has been, right? So their sin's going to get off on me, and I'm going to have to deal with the effects of their sin. And so we're always dealing with sin in this broken world of sin. It's either coming at us, or it's coming out of us and going at somebody else, because we live in a world broken by sin. One day, we're going to be completely free of it. But right now, sin still causes suffering, even though we're free. Sounds contradictory, but it isn't. Because look, look what this is saying. It says, look at Christ. Verse 17 says, we're fellow heirs with Christ. Jesus came to this broken world and he was completely free, right? Never sinned. The spirit was alive in him. He enjoyed the fullness of life of God. He knew that sin had no hold on him for eternity, But when Jesus lived on this earth, did he suffer? Yes, absolutely he did. Because this world is broken by sin. But Jesus wasn't shackled by it. And even when it looked like sin had won, it hadn't. Because Jesus was free. And he says we can be heirs with him in this freedom. And the next several verses give us some great perspective. As we live out our freedom in this world that is still broken and bound up with sin. And I'm actually going to read 18 through 21 in the Living Bible paraphrase. I just think, I like the wording. I think we can grab hold of it here. It says, for all creation, so not just just people, but all of creation is waiting eagerly 
for that future day when God will resurrect his children. For on that day, thorns and thistles, sin, death, and decay, the things that overcame the world against its will at God's command will all disappear. And the world around us will share in the glorious freedom from sin which God's children enjoy. Full freedom. One day, okay? So first of all, we can't even compare this to what we're going to have there. All right? This is a measure of freedom. That's going to be full freedom. If you were here last week, you heard me quote Mark Driscoll, who's a pastor in, in Seattle. And he said this. If you're a believer, this is as bad as it's going to get. It's only going to get better. But if you're not a believer, this is as good as it's going to get. And we have to come to terms with that. But we, as believers, we can look forward with hope to what is coming. And actually, if we kept reading, and we're not going to read these next uh, four or five verses just for time's sake, but I would encourage you to do that at some point. But we find that the Bible says that all of creation... Even nature itself is actually groaning like it's a woman in childbirth, okay? Now, when someone is in childbirth, it hurts, and I'm sure many of you can attest to that, but there's hope in front of you, right? Probably for most, childbirth is the the worst pain you've ever known. Well, God compares our suffering on this earth because of sin to that kind of pain. And when you're suffering in this world of sin, we have to know and understand, and and these verses teach this, it's not a suffering in and of itself, just for suffering's sake. It's suffering for something greater, greater to come, just like Jesus suffered. So when life gets really hard, and Satan says, God is mad at you, he doesn't love you, this wouldn't be happening to you if he had really saved you, if he really cared about you. No, that's not true. It doesn't mean you're not free. It just means you live in a world that's still bound up in sin. But you're not bound up in that sin because God did it. And actually, the verses that continue to flow tell us that we're just waiting for our full rights as his adopted children, and that we can wait with hope and confidence. Because not only is this Holy Spirit living within us and and giving us direction and showing us how to live so we can walk out this freedom, but you know what? There's another question that rises to the surface as well because God is encouraging us because he knows it's hard. And so when we say, yeah, but God, some things are just too hard. In other words, the question, what about when it just gets too hard? Because some of us have gone through or are going through or will go through some suffering that just, you just thought, I can't do this, God. I can't even begin to believe that I'm free when these kinds of things are happening in our lives. And you know what? All of us have things at some time or another that if we were required to, we probably couldn't even articulate where the chains start and where they end. Meaning we don't even know why we're bound up. We don't even know what the cause is. We don't even know what the problem is. We don't know why we overeat all the time. We don't know why we lose our temper or why we have to suffer with a sick body. We don't know why we we just can't seem to think well about ourselves and believe what God says about us. We don't know why we drink too much or talk too much or whine and complain too much or look to people all the time for approval or continually get our feelings hurt. Because some chains 
are wrapped around us so tightly. But you know what? Even there, God speaks to this in our freedom story. And he tells us, I've given you the Holy Spirit to minister to you in those places where it's just too hard. Where you can't even see that there's hope for freedom, he can set you free. See, some of us have given up, and I know that. I know you've given up in some areas. But see, Romans 8, this freedom story tells us about the spirit who lives within us, who rose Jesus from the dead, and he lives in us, and he has that same power, and he's also one with God, and he can see into those places. And even though you can't figure out where your chains begin and where they end, he knows. And you don't have to figure out, because you know what it says? Read right here with me in verse 26. It says, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. He does this for us. He's our helper living within us. And he will cry out for you for freedom when you can't cry out for yourself. When you don't even know the words to say to the Lord what you need. The Holy Spirit who's within you is crying out for your freedom and reminding you that freedom is in front of you. And to press forward in hope and in confidence because God is actually using these things for our good. And that's the next part. And it's a very well-known passage. Maybe even more well-known than the beginning and the end. Tucked right here in the middle. And we use it a lot. It says, verse 28, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. But I want to ask you something about that verse, because I know most of us know it. Did you realize it's set in the middle of a freedom story? That's what that verse is about. You know what your good is? Your good is you being free. Your good is not you getting the job that you want or living in the neighborhood you want or getting that shoe, those pair of shoes that you want. Oh, God's going to work it all out so I can get there and they'll be on sale and he's got all together working for my good. Isn't God good? That's what we say. And I know I do that too. And I believe the Lord does those things sometimes because he just loves us and we're his kids and he works things out for us. He just does. But this ladies, the more I look at this, this is about freedom. This is about God using all the things in your life for your good, which is your freedom. The good that he called you to and predestined you to from the very beginning of time. Read verse 29. He says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Who was the only one who ever lived, who lived in true freedom on this earth? Jesus, right? And you know what? God's plan and God's working things out in your life is all about getting you to the place and getting me to the place where we're conformed to that image, where we're also walking out freedom in our lives. It's for our good. It's for our blessing. It's for the life of God to flow in us. In every way. So here's our last question. Believe it or not, we're going to make it through to the end. So hang with me. I know it's long. I do. 
But remember, it could be 10 hours long, okay? So I know, I know it's long. So the last question is, how should I respond? What should be my response? And actually, it asks the question for us right here in verse 31. It says, what then shall we say to these things? Okay, I love that. Put the question right in there for us, all right? Well, based on all this truth that we find in Romans 8, what it's saying is, how do you respond to your life? How do you respond now that you've heard and, you, and you've studied this, this freedom story? Well, this is how I think we respond. And we're going to read and see. I think God wants to do a total shift in our thinking. Because God isn't calling you to just stop this behavior or start doing this. He's calling us to a whole new way of thinking and feeling and doing life. See, these responses that we're getting ready to read have everything to do with putting all the who's, and I mean who, W-H-O, it's going to use this word over and over again, all the players in our lives into a godly, biblical, truth-filled perspective. Look at all the who statements that are come into these responses. Verse 31b, this is the first response. If God is for us, who is against us? And you know what I would say about that? Here's my response to life. God trumps everyone. That's the attitude. That's the mindset. That's the thought process feeling I need to have. Doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. My freedom depends first on me having a strong belief and exalting the God of heaven in my life. Putting him there. Thinking that way. Feeling that way. Responding in my behavior in that way. If God's for me, who's against me? Okay? Verse 32, second response. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Jesus is God's provision for my freedom now and for eternity. He provided for my freedom, for salvation, and everything that I need for my freedom to walk it out until I get to glory, he's going to give me. Jesus sets me free to live unchanged from sin, to think differently from sin, to have healthy and whole God-inspired emotions any and every situation, Jesus will give me what I need. That should be my response to life. That should be the leader of the way I think and feel and respond in, in any situation. That's how I should respond to this freedom story, to these things. Verse 33, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Now, I'm just putting these things in my own words. Actually, in the, in the study pages I'm giving you online... I encourage you to do the same. But the way I would word this response in verse 33 is that people are just people. They're powerless next to God. Now, God calls us to love people. And he wants us to love them with his love. But there is no person in your life or my life who can bring a charge contrary to the freedom God gives because nobody can give a charge against God. Now, it's very easy for me to say, oh, I believe God matters more than people. But I would say to you, most of us are bound up because of what we really think about people. And the way we bow to people. 
and the way we allow people and people's sin to control the way we think and feel and act. And I need to put this all into perspective as I look at this freedom story. People are just people. They're just people. They're powerless next to God. And God has said some really powerful freedom things about me. And that's where I need to focus. Verse 34. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. I would say that's talking about Satan. Satan is the condemner. And we need to realize Satan is nothing next to Jesus. The enemy is worthless in the face of Christ. That needs to be my response to these things that I've been told. So when Satan comes and he condemns me, really I should look at him and say, who are you? Who do you think you are? Next to Jesus, you're nothing. And Jesus is the one who died for me, resurrected for me, and lives for me, reigns for me, and is providing for my freedom. So I don't even know who you are, Satan, because I've been set free. That needs to be my response to life in the way I think, in the way I feel, and in the way that I act. And then verses 35 and 36, and it actually says who, but I think it's personifying suffering. Because it says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, just as it is written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Who shall separate me? Nothing shall separate me. Suffering cannot exempt my freedom. And I need to start looking at all the things that I'm going through from that perspective. Any suffering that I have in my life does not exempt my freedom. It doesn't at all. Nothing can separate me from the Lord, from the love of Christ. Nothing can. My freedom And me living out my freedom on this earth really depends on me having a right view of suffering. Because think about Job. What did Satan want to do to him? He wanted to make him suffer because he thought, okay, then he'll deny the Lord. Because that's what suffering does to humans who are ridden with sin. But see, we have been set free. And when we know the truth, we don't have to believe that about our suffering. We can know that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Because we're not bound under sin and death anymore. Romans 8 gives me a right view about life. And so I have to believe what God says about suffering and respond accordingly. And the last three verses are still a part of our response. But they move from all these other who's and they get real personal here. And I would say, and I know we're saying a lot, but hang with me here. I think all too often we miss our freedom Because we make our freedom about us. We get caught up in we. What we have going on. Why we're not free. What we can't stop doing. Lord help me be free from this. Help me stop. Help me. I can't do this God. Deliver me. It's all me. And we make all these promises and plans of of what we're going to do. We're not going to do this anymore because God set me free. I know he set me free. That's what we say. We're going to stop this. We're going to start this. But what a lot of times, whatever the behavior is, that's not really the issue. I don't really think that's the issue. Could it be the reason we don't believe or we're we're not living in freedom is first we're not responding in right belief about God, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, about Satan, 
about suffering. Our belief system is all messed up about that. Because what we really believe about these things runs deep. And it starts in our thinking. And then it runs wide into how we feel and to how we act. See, I believe these responses here are in this order on purpose. I really do. When I meditate deeply, day and night, delighting in truths that God trumps everyone, that Jesus provided and provides for my freedom through the Holy Spirit, the people are just people, and I, I put them in the right place in my life, that Satan is nothing next to Jesus, that suffering doesn't exempt me from freedom, then I'll really be able to then start living out the response of freedom in my life. Verse 37 says, But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loves us. This tells me about me. In Christ, I'm more than a conqueror in all these things, whatever these things are. It's only because I'm in Christ. It's not about me figuring out a way to stop doing this. It's about me being in Christ and knowing the riches and the fullness of all that means to be in Christ. Having a total shift in my thinking to where I start living in Christ and all of a sudden I'm not doing these things anymore. That's what freedom is. So I'm overwhelmingly a conqueror. And in fact, I love this word overwhelmingly a conqueror because you're not just conquering, but you're overwhelmingly a conqueror. I read something today, actually, that somebody posted on Facebook, and I just have to say it. It's so good. This whole idea of overwhelmingly a conquer. Conquer means you conquer, like you subdue your enemy. But when you overwhelmingly are a conquer, it's like you take their weapons that they use against you, and you use them for your own good. You use them for your own purposes. And see, that's what we are in Christ. Because the suffering that Satan tries to bring on us because of sin, we take it and turn it around and say, no, that's going to bring me into a great place of freedom because I'm going to know God's going to use these things to refine me, to teach me how to think and to rely on him more. So I'm overwhelmingly a conqueror in Christ. And then we get to this last part that we all love so much that says, for I'm convinced. Because see, we know all these other things. We're convinced. We've got a right belief system and a response in our minds. So we're convinced that neither death nor life, and it goes through all these things, will ever be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This tells me about me. But it comes at the end of all that Jesus has done, all that God is, all the perspective he gives me about all of life. And then I know how to respond, and I know how to live out my freedom. Hallelujah. Jesus, I thank you for Romans 8. Such rich truth, and we really have not even dug in yet, God. You want us to walk in freedom. And I pray that your word tonight ministers freedom at some place to every woman present in this room, God. I believe that's your plan. I believe that's your purpose for having us here, God. And so I pray you would do your work through your word. I can't do it, Lord. It's your word. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, ladies, when God first got a hold of me, I had a lot of issues going on in my life. I was bound up in a lot of sin. A lot of it I tried to fix myself. It never worked. And it wasn't until I started delighting in the word, chapters like Romans 8, that began to build in me a whole new way of thinking about God about what he did in my life, about his spirit in me, about people 
and really having a right view of them and a right view of Satan and a right view of life's junk and, and just truth, meditating on it day and night and him pouring that into me. And the more I thought on truth and got my mind yielding to the truth of the Holy Spirit, it began to infiltrate how I lived. And what I found was I had a lot of repenting to do because I realized that my life and my thinking were so off base of the freedom that God had called me to. I realized I was living so much according to my flesh, not even just in the things that I could see that I was doing. It just went way deep. But see, that word digs it out. And once that repentance began to take place as I got in the word, then the behavior started to change. And I started enjoying some of my freedom. I started seeing verse 37 come to life for me that says, in all these things, I overwhelmingly conquer through him who loves me. And I'll tell you, I've seen it as I've been in women's ministry again and again. Women get in the word, not trying to fix one specific thing in their life. They don't go to the Christian bookstore and say, I need a book about anger because I got a problem. But they just get in the word and they start fellowshipping with God. And they start, God starts shifting everything. Like they can almost feel their heart and their mind shifting because God's doing a whole new work, getting rid of this sin sickness that has infiltrated everything from their mind and their emotions all the way to their behavior. So they're not just trying to find the exact key to undo a certain chain. They're just putting their eyes on Jesus in his word and letting him minister truth. They're getting some time with their dad. Three mornings a week, or more than that, and letting him minister to them. I want to tell you, as we finish out, about a young woman that I've been encouraging in the Lord for the last few years. And her life uh, really started pretty hard. She went through some really hard things as a young girl, and, and it really just led into a life of sinful decisions as a young adult. She found herself acting out in very self-destructive ways, ended up in a lot of different toxic relationships with men, a lot of sexual immorality going on in her life, found herself as an alcoholic. But her biggest issue was she didn't know her father through Christ. She didn't know what he said about this life. And so she was trying to live in death, and that's all it produced for her was death. But then she met Jesus, and he saved her. He did it in her life. And he started pronouncing freedom over her, and she got in the word. And this last year especially, I have seen her making a choice to delight in that word even more. And as she's been drawing near to him, like we, like we talked about in that song we sang, I've seen her learning truth and seeking the Lord and putting her focus on him. And, and it's been bringing her to places of repentance. And she's very open, so she just shares things with me a lot. And the chains of sin, I literally am standing and watching sometimes as these texts come in, and I'm just seeing them fall off of her. And it's absolutely beautiful. And she gave me permission to share with you a text that she sent to me about a month ago. And, and it started like this, and you can see it on the screen. It says, random. So I don't know the exact date, but it's been about one full year since I've had sex. I haven't even kissed a man this entire time. This is the longest ever since I lost my virginity. I feel closer to God than ever before. He's renewing my mind, and he's making me new. My flesh battles daily with the Spirit. I want to give in and I want to be touched and kissed and I want to go all the way with a guy, but that leads to death, not life. 
I listened to the book of Romans on my walk yesterday. It was so good. A lot I need to go back and meditate on. I feel alone and different and out of place, like I don't fit anywhere. But I guess that's because this is not my home. And I loved that when she said, this is not my home, because it showed a total shift in her thinking and in her heart, a repentance to line up her actions with what she said she believed. And I sent her back a text and I said, random nothing. That's divine truth. And I'm so proud of you, exclamation mark. I was reading, and I really had been, I said, I was reading Romans 8 this morning, and your words here are an exact representation of a life living that out in so many ways. And she wrote me back. She said, thank you, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, smiley face, because freedom brings a lot of joy in life and peace. She said, I went back just now and read Romans 8. Wow, God is so good. He keeps me from stumbling. And I wrote her back. I said, yes, he He does. That's what he does. It's all about him. So we're going to move right now into a time of prayer to him. You, me, and him. Now, up until yesterday, we had a totally different, very exciting, I think, plan for praying tonight. But yesterday, God, through the prayer team that's been praying specifically over this night for months, God spoke very clear, and he said, I want this time to be each woman here crying out to me for herself. I want to hear her voice. I want her to respond to the freedom story I wrote for her. I want her to respond to what I've been speaking to her tonight. I want her to repent, and that includes me. Now, we don't talk about that a lot these days. We don't talk about repentance. But see, ladies, when I get in the Word, most times I find that something in my mind, my emotions, my actions is not lining up with truth. But I don't feel God shaking his finger in my face like I used to and saying, you dirty child, will you ever get it right? No, I hear him and I feel him calling me to him and saying, honey, I've got freedom. Don't you remember? Don't you remember what I told you in Romans 8? Don't you remember what I'm telling you here in your word? It's that daddy-daughter bond of correction that says, I've got more for you than this, sweetie. You want to live in my freedom. It's the Spirit saying, walk according to me. And I think that's what he's been saying to us tonight. All of us, in some way or another, are not walking in our freedom. And we need to cry out to the Lord in light of what we have heard from him in his word tonight. We need to say, God, I want to draw nearer to your freedom. I know I'm not going to make it the whole way tonight, God, but I want to at least take one step further. I'm ready for change. I'm not just saying I'm sorry, God. I want to line my my thinking up with what you say. I, I, I want to tell you that I've been wrong in the way I think, maybe about you or about your spirit or about the people in my life, or whatever it is that God's been speaking to you. You might be saying, God, I want to live according to your spirit, not according to my flesh. I'm going to seek you, God. I'm going to say, God, show me what it really is. I know what the the behaviors are, Lord, but show me what the root of this is, what I'm not believing or or am believing about you that's really not truth, God, because I want to work this out, God. I want your freedom. You're my dad. And I know you have what's best for me. 
Remember, my friend, she sought the Lord. And then her behavior began to change. Then she started realizing this place is not my home. I'm not going to find my satisfaction in sex or alcohol or whatever else it was. Truth sets us free. So, ladies, that's what we're going to do right now, okay? We're going to have prayer time. It's going to be quiet. The band even, we're all doing it, okay? And we're just going to spend some time, just you and the Lord, seeking him. Let's do that.